Thank you. When I uh, became a Christ follower, I thought, what is it that you do as a Christ follower? And I thought, man, you read the Bible, so if I felt bad, I read Psalms. If I felt really bad, I read Job. And uh, for me, it was just kind of reading through, looking for God speaking to me. What was applicable? How is he gonna bless me? And I remember a guy inviting me to a Bible study, and I said yes. I thought it was the Christian thing to do. And so I get to the Bible study, and he lays out a map of the world, and he says, pick a country and pray for it. And I start to freak out, because I was like, wow, I've never prayed out loud for anything. And so I said, I'll pray for America. And he said, pray for somewhere further away. And I said, Mexico. And he said, no, 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 pray for somewhere really far away. And I looked down, and at the center of the map, I saw Saudi Arabia. And so I began to pray for Saudi Arabia. At the end of the prayer, he said, come back next week, tell me how many Muslims, how many mosques, how many Christians, how many churches are in Saudi Arabia. So I start to research Saudi Arabia. I start to find books about the Middle East and the religion of Islam. I start, I'm standing in line at Starbucks and I, in front of me is a guy from the Middle East. And so I start to befriend him. We get coffee. They're real people. I start to pray more for the Middle East. I take a short-term trip to the Middle East. And all of a sudden, I realized rather quickly, oh my goodness, I was living for my small, self-absorbed me purpose. And God has now morphed it into his purpose. And, and so what we're gonna talk about this morning is God's purpose. We're gonna look at God's purpose. And he lays out this incredibly great purpose, but the world woos us every day to live for a small, self-absorbed, me-centered purpose. And so if you miss the purpose of God, you miss how to live, you miss how to give, and you miss how to raise your kids. If you miss the purpose of God, you miss how to live, how to give, and how to raise your kids. And so when we talk about the purpose of God, what's interesting is by the time you open the Bible and get to Genesis 11, you have creation, you have the fall, you have the flood, and then you have this opportunity to embrace the purpose of God. But the world has a purpose for you as well. The world's purpose is in Genesis 11. Look at Genesis 11. I mean, this is early on in scripture. Genesis 11, verse one. Now the whole earth had one language and a common speech. As men moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and they settled there. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. See, the world wants to invite you into its purpose to make a name for yourself, for you to be great, build your city, build your safety, build your resume. And watch what happens. God scatters the nations. He scatters the, the peoples who are doing that, who, who that's their purpose. Verse seven, come, let us go down, God says, and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth and they stopped building the city. In Genesis chapter 11, humanity says, we wanna embrace our own purpose. God strikes their tongues and judgment occurs, which is what happens when you embrace your own purpose. And now, Genesis 12 shines the spotlight on the purpose God has for us. Genesis 11, the world's purpose. Genesis 12, God's purpose. Listen to Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. Those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. But all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, Genesis 12 is monumental in scripture because what it shows us is the beginning of the purpose and mission of God. 
Genesis 12, right after Genesis 11, Genesis 12 offers a contrast. Do you wanna walk in my purpose? And here's my purpose. Really simply put, God says, I wanna bless you to bless the nations. I wanna bless you to bless the nations. I'm gonna bless you, I'm gonna change you, I'm gonna make you great, but it's not for you. You're a conduit to the nations. And you will hear this passage over 1,600 more times repeated over and over and over again. I had no clue the importance of Genesis 12 for the first 10 years of my spirituality. I had no clue how important Genesis 12 was for the first decade I was a Christian. Matter of fact, the leading scholar of all of Christians in all of Europe, John Stott, who died a few years ago, was asked this question before he died. What's the most important passage in the Bible? And John Stott says, Genesis 12, one through three. All of God's purpose is encapsulated here. See, as I look at Genesis 12, I've called this the Abrahamic revolution. What began with Abraham, God's purpose to Abraham comes to me. But it begins in Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob, then Joseph, then, then Joshua, then David, and the prophets, then Jesus, and the early church, then us. But Genesis 12 is where the mission of God hits motion and the purpose begins. God wants to bless me, not for me. He's got bigger things than that. It's, he's gonna bless me to bless all nations. He will repeat this five times in Genesis. Five times in Genesis. Once here in Genesis 12, and look at Abraham's response in verse four. Abram left, as the Lord told him. Abram left. But then he's gonna repeat it four more times. Two more times to Abraham, one more time to Isaac, Abraham's son, and one more time to Jacob, Isaac's son. Listen to this. This is the second time to Abraham, Genesis 18. Abraham, you're gonna become a mighty nation, but it's not for you. All nations on earth will be blessed through you. Genesis 22, the third time to Abraham. In your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. I'm gonna bless you to bless the world. Now, Isaac, just like your father, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, Genesis 26. And I'll give them all these lands and through your offspring, all nations will be blessed. Jacob, Jacob, just like your father Isaac and your father's father. Genesis 28, Jacob, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and they will spread out to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. Here it is. God wants to bless us, but not for us. But you know what's interesting about my life? I don't know if you do this. I wake up every day, every day, and I say throughout the day four words. I say throughout the day, sometime throughout the day, I'm gonna say four words. It starts in the morning. You know, it starts in the morning. I get up, I, I have my phone charging on the nightstand next to it. I grab it, I grab it, I grab it. I have a face ID. It knows who I am. I don't even have to, you know what I'm saying? I don't have to, you know, and, 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 and I go into an app on my phone. And the first word I say, I say savings. Where are you? And I see my savings account. And I say to my savings, grow, little guy. Grow. Grow, little guy. Grow. And the older I get, I get commas. Oh, yeah. You know what a comma is in your checking? Glory. <laughs> Glory. And the older I get, the more commas I get. 
I heart savings. I love it. I go downstairs, and now I prepare for my second word of the day. I go downstairs. I make the Keurig. I, I, I kiss my daughter. I kiss my son. I kiss my other son. I kiss my other son. I kiss my other daughter. I kiss my other son. And I get all my kids around me, and I say my second word of the day. Safety. Give them safety, Lord. Keep them safe. I then commute to my unattached garage to work, and I get in my car, and I drive, and on my way to work, I say my third word of the day. Resume. Make me famous. I then commute home from my unattached garage. I get to the house, and I say my fourth word of the day. Relax. Savings, safety, resume, relax. And the vast amount of every Christ follower you know, their life revolves around those four words. The vast amount, if you look at any Christ follower and you say, what do you long for? What do you love? What do you think about? What consumes your day? What's your priorities? What's your values? What do you love? What makes you think? And, and, and it's like, oh, savings, safety, resume, relax. And the Lord invites us into his Genesis 12 purpose. And I say, well, Lord, I'll do it, but you're not allowed to touch those four words. I'll be involved, but I don't want to mess with those four words. And so we reduce our spirituality to doing more than most other Christians as we all live for the same four words. When you look at the purpose of God, he invites us into something bigger, something greater, the Genesis 12 purpose. It's all throughout scripture. Why did God raise up Pharaoh? In Exodus, he says this, I have raised you up for this very purpose, Pharaoh. When I began with Abraham, I'm gonna show my name to all the earth, that my power might be known to all the earth. Why did he give Solomon wisdom? Why did he bless Solomon with wisdom? He says this, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Why did God give Solomon wisdom? The whole world was gonna seek audience. He was gonna bless Solomon, not for Solomon. I mean, over and over again, the Bible is simply Genesis 12 on repeat. The Bible is Genesis 12 on repeat. Over 175 times in Psalms, God mentions the Genesis 12 idea. Psalm 67 is an easy one, seven verses, but 13 times he'll mention Genesis 12. Listen as we read. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Now, normally, that's where I stop. And I grab my yellow highlighter and I go to my Bible and I highlight it. And I look at it and I heart it with a pen. And then I look at it again and then I back away and I say, God, you do wanna bless me. You do wanna be gracious to me. And then I shut my Bible and I just go about my day thinking about me. It's perfect. American Christianity 101. <laughs> but what does God want me to do? No, 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 no. I'm gonna bless you, but it has nothing to do with you. Keep reading. Keep reading. There's more? Yeah, there is. Yeah. 
May God be gracious and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy for you rule the peoples justly and you guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. God blesses us, not for us. I was in my favorite Christian store the other day. I just love it. I feel like when I go in there, it's like tithing, Hobby Lobby. <laughs> and um, I'm walking around Hobby Lobby and uh, I see, you know, it's interesting. Their picture frames are always half off. And I see a picture and it actually had my favorite Old Testament verse on it. It had my favorite Old Testament verse. It said, be still and know that I am God, dot, dot, dot. And I was like, I love that verse. I've seen it on my journal. I've seen it engraved on bowling balls and tea towels, okay? Like, I love that verse. And, and I was with my kids, and I took a picture of the picture, if you can even get that deep. I took a picture of the picture, and I texted it to my wife, and she's like, you should get it. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're getting it. I was just wondering where we should put it. It had a stream, a deer, a tackle box. It had a sun rising. But again, it was the girth. It was the girth of the font that caught my attention because I'd always known, be still and know that I'm God, but I didn't know there was a dot, dot, dot. Now, the dot, dot, dot means what? Means what? It means there's more. So I began to ponder. Why is it that I've never heard the second half of Psalm 4610 ever? How bad is it? What's it say? Be still and know that I am God, and Judas found a rope and hung himself? <laughs> I mean, how bad is the second half that I've never seen it? So I pull out my Bible app, and I go to Psalm 4610, because I wanted to find out how bad is the second half. And it says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. That's the whole verse. But as a guy who wants to center his life on himself, live for four small things, and want the blessing of salvation, but no responsibility of passing my blessing on to the nations, how can I get around those verses? If only there is a way. I know. I'm a Psalm 4610A believer. And that's what we do, don't we? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. God invites us into this great and glorious and eternal and unfulfilled global purpose. But yet, what do we do? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Look at the rest of the Old Testament. It's just Genesis 12 on repeat. Jeremiah 16, 19. Oh Lord, my strength, my fortress, my time in distress, to you the nations will come from the ends of the earth and say our fathers possess nothing but false gods worthless idols that did them no good. Habakkuk 2.14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Zephaniah 2.11, the Lord will be awesome to them when he destroys the gods of the land. The nations on every shore will worship him. Everyone, you almost just go into a verse coma. Malachi 1.11, my name will be great among the nations from the rising to the setting of the sun. In every place, incense and pure offerings will be brought to my name because my name will be great among the nations over and over and over again. But the world will recruit you to a small, insignificant, me-centered purpose. It will. It will. 
I got invited to speak at the largest Christian university in Canada, 5,000 students. Did I say it's the largest? It's the, did I say it's the largest? It's the lar largest, did I say largest? Largest Christian university. There are 5,000 students and the campus pastor emails me and says, Todd, we want you to speak at the Tuesday morning chapel, at the Wednesday morning chapel, at the Thursday morning chapel, and Beth Moore is gonna conclude on the Friday morning chapel. And I was like, this is awesome. So I fly to Canada, I get there a day early, even though it's the same time zone, just to get acclimated, and I wake up Tuesday morning, and I didn't want to eat too much or too little, kind of wedding day mentality, and I go over, I meet with the campus minister, and I was like, this place is huge. He's like, we are. I was like, I know, you're the largest university in Canada. I said, how many Christian students go here? He says, 5,000. I said, where's chapel meet? He says, well, the only place that can hold us is the basketball arena. I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah. I said, listen, numbers does not matter to me at all, but today they do. Um, and I said, about how many will I be speaking to? And he said, oh, did I not tell you in the email, missions week is the only week we make chapel optional. And so we're praying for 200. So I show up and I speak to about 165 students or so. And at the end of my message, at the end of my 30 minutes, I say, I want to challenge you to give five years of your life to the Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, Chinese, and tribal world, and then go into the workforce and start your resume. Go five years, pray about a lifetime. And I set the mic down, and literally seven Canadians line up to my right. And I was like, oh, what do they want, my autograph? One at a time. One at a time, one comes up to me, man, that was amazing. I'm like, you liked it? He's like, that was amazing. I'm a senior. That was my favorite chapel of the semester. He's like, I can't go overseas. I'm getting a master's. The next one, oh, thanks so much for the challenge. That was so fun and funny and convicting. I can't go overseas. I'm engaged to be married. The next one, oh, man, that was fascinating. I never heard about the needs of the world. I can't go overseas. I'm not called. The next one, man, thank you for challenging us. I can't go overseas. My parents won't let me. The next one, wow, that was so powerful. I would go overseas, but I can't. I just signed a two-year iPhone contract, one <laughs> after another. I then flew from Canada on Thursday, on Friday morning, actually. I, I flew not back to, to, to where I'm from, but instead I flew to speak at a church in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I fly into Salt Lake City Airport. I grab my, my phone. It says Google Maps. I go and it says, I'm, I just type in my address of where I'm going, and it says, turn right on Temple Street. And I was like, Temple Street? What's Temple Street? And I realized first in Temple... First and Temple in Salt Lake City, Utah is what? The largest Mormon temple in the world. And I thought, I wanna go. I wanna get a selfie in front of the largest Mormon temple in the world. And so I drive to First and Temple, park my car, get out, take a selfie. And to the left, to the left of the Mormon temple, I look, and there's a three-story, all-glass building, and etched in glass, it says this, Mormon Welcome Center. I want to go. I mean, I want to visit the Mormon Welcome Center. What possibly great things could happen if you do that? So I walk in the Mormon Welcome Center. As I open the door, I yell, good Mormon. 
top of the Mormon to you. And 12 of the nicest young adults, most well-dressed, came up to me. One girl, Rebecca, kind of spun, spun off and came up to me, and she's like, how can I help you? And I was like, what are you doing here? She's like, what do you mean? I was like, what are you doing here? She's like, well, every Mormon gives two years after they graduate somewhere in the world. And when the letter comes, it's the greatest day of our life. I was like, what's the letter say? She reaches in her purse. She grabs the letter. She says, here's the letter we get. It's the most important thing I own. I opened the letter. I read the letter. I then left Salt Lake City. I drove south to Provo, Utah, about 45 minutes. I'm driving south. I'm supposed to speak at Brigham Young University. Brigham Young University is the largest Mormon university in the world. There's a handful of Christian students on campus. They wanted us to speak to them and talk to them about ministry and stuff. So here I am. I'm driving to Provo, Utah. I'm literally across the street from BYU. I'm across, I can see, welcome, BYU. And to my left, I see a store. And the sign on the store caught my, my eye. The sign on the store said, the Missionary Mall. I want to go. I want to go to the Missionary Mall. What possibly things could you purchase at a place called the Missionary Mall? So I park my car. I walk in. As I open the door of the Missionary Mall, I realize, oh my goodness, this is a spot where parents and grandparents take their kids and grandkids before they go on the two-year mission. They buy everything they need from the, for the mission at the Missionary Mall. They get everything they need, their tie, their suit, their bike helmet. It all comes from the Missionary Mall. And all I'm doing at the missionary mall is I'm looking at the faces, the fathers and the mothers, the grandfathers and the grandmothers, and I tell you this, no price too high, whatever you need. This is the proudest day of our life, to see our son and daughter take the teachings of Mormonism to every corner of the earth. What could make us more prouder? I got back in my car, I opened my journal, and I wrote, Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Mormons give two years, Christians give excuses. Here's a recent stat that we've developed and realized that might uh, intrigue you. 97% of all Christ-following parents will try to talk their son or daughter out of being a missionary. 97% of all Christ-following parents will try to talk their kids out or their grandkids out of being a missionary. Let me tell you how that conversation goes. It goes something like this. It goes just like this. You know, honey, your mom and I, we are never gonna get in the way of what God wants you to do. We would never do that. This is your decision. And I wanna be crystal clear that your mom and I would never get in your way. We are a little concerned though that you didn't apply other places and we think it might be better if you work here for about five years and then maybe go. Have you thought about that? Now, this is your decision. I wanna let you know that. 
okay? And I want, I would never get between you and God. But I will say this, don't you think God would speak to us too about you going? He has told your mom and I anything. And so I'm just a little concerned, okay? Let me ask you this, let me ask you, this is your decision, okay? And I wanna be crystal clear with that. But let me ask you this. Do you have any doubt? Because I think if you have any doubt at all, you should not go. To me, any doubt. And so even as I'm talking about this right now, do you doubt? Do you doubt? Do you have doubt? Do you have any doubt? If you have any doubt, I would say wait. I would say wait. I would also encourage you, how are you gonna pay for this? Don't you think it'd be better to spend about seven years paying off debt and getting a job? Look at the needs around you. Have you seen Topeka? This is needy 101, okay? Like, look at the needs around you. I'm just, have you talked to the pastor? Have you sought counsel? You don't even own a passport or wear Tom's. What are you gonna do over there? I mean, this is just confusing. It's not that, I, 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 it's not that I'm not for it, it's just I'm not for it, okay? It's just I'm not for it. I'm just confused. I'm confused about what, why, and this is just, this is just confusing. I'm not gonna, you do what you wanna do. I'm just saying I wouldn't, okay? And I'm gonna say one more thing, okay? I'm gonna say one more thing because I think you should hear this, but I do not, I'm just gonna say one more thing, but I wanna preface that one thing with one thing. Okay, I'm gonna preface the one thing with one thing. It's your decision, okay? And I hope you've seen your mom and I are for you. I mean, I hope that's all you've heard, okay? But I just wanna let you know, there's a high probability that if you go over there, you're gonna die single, okay? <laughs> and that's a problem. And do you know who does that? Every Christ-following parent or grandparent you know. Every one of them. They all do that. I mean, it's just crazy, right? It's like, oh my goodness, God blesses us, and then we turn around and say, no, Lord, they're for me to live in my zip code and work for Chick-fil-A. You know, that's all I want them to do. Over and over again, when you transition to the New Testament, it's just Genesis 12 on repeat. Listen to what the disciples asked Jesus in Matthew 24. Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? And he basically just quotes Genesis 12. He's like, man, what did I say to Abraham, right? When, when all nations have the blessing of God. He put it like this though. When this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, this is Genesis 12, then the end will come. And then Jesus will give five great commission verses. I used to think there was one great commission verse. There's not. That's a missions myth. There's five great commission verses. Listen to these five. The first one is found in Matthew 28, and it's what we commonly might think of when we think of the Great Commission. Matthew 28 says this. Then Jesus came and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. I'm with you always, even in the ends of the age. Listen to this. Listen to this. There's, five, there's actually four different alls in this passage. All authority. All authority. Jesus says, if you are living and giving and raising your kids the way you wanna do it, you're doing it by robbery. 
all authority. This thing's going to all nations. That's the second all, all nations. Teaching them what? Not some of the things I've commanded, all that I've commanded. That's the third all. And how long are we to make this our passion, Lord? How long should missions be our passion? Always. No matter if it's 30 AD, 300 AD, 3000 AD. I mean, I hear so many people are like, oh man, missions isn't for me. And it's like, who cares? Who cares? This thing's not about you to begin with. You know, I don't really have a heart for India. Well, God does, so you better get one. This is the first Great Commission text. The second Great Commission text is Mark 16, 15. Look at this, go with this. Go and preach to all creation. Everything's gonna shift after the resurrection. The third Great Commission text is Luke 24. This is written, this is written, Genesis 12. This should not be new. Christ, he says, that's who I am. Will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, he says, that's what I did. Repentance, he says, that's how you should respond. Forgiveness of sins, he says, that's, that's the benefit of responding appropriately. Will be preached to all nations. That's a Genesis 12 reference. John 20, 21. Jesus says, I was in Trinity, eternity, community when the Father invited me to put on humanity. And as the Father sent me, I am now sending you. That means if you're a Christ follower in here this morning, the question is not, am I sent? It's to where? We're all sent ones. You might go further geographically than me. I might go to India. You might go across the street. But we're all sent ones. And the fifth Great Commission text is Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Why five? Why five commissionings? And I have to say, because he knows Genesis 11 and the gravitational pull of making a name for ourselves. He knows that every one of us in here is going to have a tendency to live for our savings, our safety, our resume, our relaxation. Christianity is something I do in my free time. Blessings is something I do when I decide I have an excess. I might flip you a tithe. But what's interesting is this. For the rest of the New Testament, the authors of Scripture, think about the rest from Acts 2 on, the authors of Scripture, Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, not one time quote any of the five Great Commission texts. Not one time are any of the five quoted. You don't hear Paul the Apostle in Ephesians saying, men of Ephesians, what I say is the same thing Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations. Not one time does the Great Commission text get quoted anywhere else in the New Testament. And I scratch my head and I say, well, why? Why? They're so important. And then I realize, oh my goodness. The authors did not think the Great Commission started with Jesus. They go all the way back to who? Genesis 12. Genesis 12. Listen to just a few of them. Acts 3, Peter says, and you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant. He said to Abraham, Genesis 12, through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. They quote Genesis 12. Hebrews 6, the author says, when God made his promise to Abraham, he's trying to get him a heart for the world. He says this, Genesis 12. Galatians 3, Paul says, the scriptures foresaw that God would justify the nations. Where do I get this from? Matthew 28. No, Genesis 12, Galatians 3, 14. He redeemed us, church, why? Genesis 12, that 
what started with Abraham make, may make their name to all the nations. God wants us to have a, his purpose, a greater purpose, but instead what happens? We settle for a small purpose that revolve around the blessings God gave us to begin with. I think that's why Paul the Apostle says this in Romans 15, he says this, where is the gospel not going and all volunteer? It's always been my ambition to preach the gospel so someone else is not building. So it not be building on someone else's foundation. This afternoon, from two to four, we're gonna have two more sessions that just talk practically about how can I live and give and raise my kids with a global mindset? What can I do to live in this Genesis 12 purpose? And so if that's you, I'd invite everyone to come back from two to four and just learn a little more, the next steps on how God can use you in his purpose, not your small Genesis 11 purpose. And watch this. God's purpose, it's the only purpose that's eternal it's global, it's unfulfilled, and it involves you. It involves you. And it comes with a guarantee. God's purpose is eternal, it's global, it's unfulfilled, it involves you, and it comes with a guarantee. What's the guarantee? Revelation 5, 9. What began in Genesis 12 concludes in Revelation 5, 9. He looks and he opens the scroll and he says, you, Jesus, were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God. What you said you were gonna do in Genesis 12, you concluded. You purchased men for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Join God in his greater purpose. Father, we just pray that this morning. We pray that we'd be people who follow you and what you're doing, that we would raise our kids and give and live in such a way that revolve around your purpose. Help us to release those blessings you've given us to bless all nations, not just to hoard them for ourselves, Lord. We ask this in your name, amen. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if you've been around Grace Point for any extended amount of time, you have heard me say something to the effect of God has blessed us to be a blessing to other people. I actually got that from Todd's book. Um, he was here 10, 12 years ago, um, gave me one of his books and got to read it. Um, and, and he has been instrumental or this idea has been instrumental in who we are as a church. So I want to encourage you, if you're interested at all in taking a little bit of a deeper dive with that, um, Todd has some of his books back there in the lobby. You can grab one of those um, and, and read that a little bit deeper. Secondly, um, he, already, he already mentioned it. But we're going to come back this afternoon um, at 2 o'clock. Love for any and all of you who maybe haven't signed up yet. You can still come and join us. If you have kids, we do need you to, you to let us know that, okay? So back in um, the table, the missions table, there's some um, of our missions team. Let them know um, that you're going to be coming back with kids so we can get all of those um, resources ready. And then lastly, when you came in today, um, our missions team has put together um, just uh, some ways that you can get involved. You can fill this out right now. You can take it with you over lunch, bring it back this afternoon with you. But this is just some real quick ways that you maybe you're interested in, maybe you want to get, um, you, you want to start doing it right now. But these are just a few ways that our missions teams is looking for people who may Maybe want to dip their toes in some of the different ways um, that we participate in missions. 
as one of our main environments. This is one of the main things we do, one of the main things we want to be about um, as a church. All right? Guys, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for those of you who have signed up. If you haven't, make sure you do so, especially if you have kids. Go grab some lunch, and we'll see you again back here at 2 o'clock. You're dismissed.